0: Hello and welcome to the second season of Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Well, the show first launched back at the end of 2016. That was kind of a soft launch with a lot of best of material from 2016 when I used to work for Word of the Nerd. Now, I am in my second season, episode number 88 today. We're kicking off the new year with a team of creators, Matt Mayer-Lowry and Cassie Anderson, who developed the book, Life Formed, being published through Dark Horse Comics. It is currently available at comic book stores and on Amazon.com. It is a full-color, 192-page graphic novel. Allow me to read a description of this graphic novel. In the wake of an alien invasion and her father's death, a young girl must fight for the future of Earth, aided by a strange, shape-shifting rebel alien posing as her father, the unlikely pair Bond fight back and ponder what it means to be human. The power of choice, courage, and unity are examined in life Formed*. Cleo makes contact. Now Matt and Cassie did a brief tour in the middle of November of comic shops in their area and we do talk about that and the fan feedback that they received and the tours that they made of high schools and middle schools to talk about art and comic book writing and also their experience at Barnes and Noble bookstores where they met with fans and spoke about their graphic novel. Thank you for sticking with me, and welcome new listeners. I have a lot of fun things in store this year, including contests. More on that later. First, let's join Matt Merrill-Lowry and Cassie Anderson, here now on Creator Talks. (music) Matt and Cassie, welcome to Creator Talks. Yeah, Thank thanks you. for having us. It's great to have you here. And it's great to have two people here on the show at the same time. I always find that to be more funner, as they say, or as I say. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Life Formed right up front. Matt, is this something you could have done, you would have
1: thought of before you had a family, before you had kids of your own? I don't think so. I think that that played a big role in the creation of the whole project, um, for sure, It's uh I sort of joke that like being a parent made me feel a little bit like an alien sometimes. And uh, (laughs) that is, uh, I think, essential to the whole story. Definite starting point. You know, when you um, connected with Cassie online for the first time, Cassie,
0: what was your reaction when uh, Matt tapped you for this book?
2: Yeah, well, he sent me, um, I think, a synopsis for the script, which was way different than what you see in the book now. Um, but even back then, I was just really intrigued by the characters. I think that kind of drew me into the whole project and the concept of the story and maybe want to learn what happened to them and be a part of the project.
0: Oh, so how did this story evolve from the initial pitch that you received? Was it a collaboration at that point that started the change?
1: We basically took what I gave to Cassie at the start. Uh, we put together like a full issue size pitch packet. Um, that we didn't even really intend to necessarily be a pitch packet. It was just sort of a first issue. <laughs> and, and that found its way to folks at Dark Horse. And it was really through working with Dave Marshall there that the story itself started to take a little bit different shape, I guess, and focus really on, I think, really on the development of the relationship of Cleo, the main character, and Alex, um, the alien version, this uh, alien shapeshifter that takes the place of Cleo's dad after Cleo's dad is killed in an alien invasion. We had their relationship more kind of told through flashbacks and with a different plot sort of driving things forward. And Dave's feedback, which was really great. And it's kind of hard to remember now before, but it uh, was to really put that relationship front and center and really make that sort of the thrust of the book. And it also came out of doing things as a graphic novel versus doing a series, which was just kind of what I had initially envisioned.
0: What qualities did Cassie's art possess and she possessed that made her the perfect person to visually interpret your script?
1: The thing that really caught my eye when I found her stuff online was just primarily how good she was at conveying emotion, character acting, facial acting um, with the characters. That felt like it would be key. And it's not, as I said, it's not really giving anything away to say that the big spoiler at the beginning of the book (laughs) is that Cleo's human dad is killed pretty much at the start and this shape-shifting alien takes his place. And so I knew that it was going to be really essential to be able to have Cleo be a fully realized kid and to be able to express a wide range of emotions. And I've been reading comics all my life and stuff. And I, you know, there's so many varying styles, but what I saw in hers was someone who was just really great at that. And who also had a really clean storytelling sense so that uh, people wouldn't be confused as we move through this. And also her ability to like, This being one of my first projects, I knew that we had this shape shifting thing going on and I saw just a consistency to her work and as far as staying on model and everything that was seemed like it would be really important. And so those were the art things that were really important. And then when we got together and started working on character designs and test pages and stuff, you know, we were going back and forth on email a ton. And I'm a bit of like a hyper communicator. And she was really like engaged and got back to me, you know, really quickly, and so much so that I realized. I should tell her she doesn't have to get back to me after every email because I wanted her to be able to do some work as well. But um, I've worked with a lot of artists as from a web design production side. You know, you don't always get a real responsive feedback and uh, turnaround and whatnot. And so I wasn't sure what to expect, but she really sort of exceeded my expectations on that front. And yeah, so that felt like uh, a good fit, and you know, she never left me hanging. I guess was the main thing.
0: <laughs> okay, so consistency and responsiveness.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> Cassie, I have to say, you tapped into something with your artwork. It's the eyes. It is so important for characters, and it really impacts children as well because they like characters with the big eyes. I mean, my son, yeah. who's like I don't know, fourteen months or so, he has an Elmo will let it go. And all those Muppets have those eyes. It just draws the kids in. And the same thing with your characters. You know, they seem very relatable and very human uh, with those eyes. Oh, well, thank you. Is that a hallmark of your artwork style?
2: Yeah, maybe. Um, I think when I first really started getting into drawing, I was, you know, into the, the anime and the manga. So that was like a big influence for me. Um, And I think there are pieces of that that still kind of carry over into my art today, even though those aren't, like, things that I'm looking at right now or or trying to imitate. But, yeah, there's something about eyes that uh, you can carry so much emotion and make a character so much more relatable just with the eyes. Um, So I I work on that all the time, try and hone my ability to make eyes the same size also, like, (laughs)
0: on each side (laughs) of
2: the head. It's really hard.
0: (laughs) it's really a solid book and I knew nothing about it when I went to read it you know we talk about the spoilers here there's no spoilers in the beginning but I knew nothing yeah. so when Cleo's dad Alex was killed I was like <gasps> I was like floored <laughs> I was like oh my god oh god I thought it was going to be like such a you know bright shiny little you know and I was like oh I had no idea what was going to happen I did not read the synopsis or anything so <laughs> I, I got that emotional gut punch right off the bat. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Now, the editorial team at Dark Horse helped you out and supported you in putting this book together. And how was it that they found out about it first? When you actually put that pitch together and sent it to Dark Horse?
1: So I go to uh, Bridge City Comics here in Portland, and a couple of the guys that work there, Michael Ring, the owner, and uh, Michael Winston, were I I did not know this. I just, you know, would go in on Wednesdays and stuff and hang out and talk with them a ton, and (laughs) I wanted their feedback just on the on that first issue that we put together. So I had sent it to both of them, and. They really liked it and ended up passing it along to Dave Marshall. Yes, yeah, so it was a little bit of a surprise, but it worked out really well.
0: So I read in the book, you thank people that supported you and Dave was among them. Cassie, you thanked your friends and family for getting you through the tough parts. What were the tough parts for you?
2: I've never worked... Um on so many comic pages in a short amount of time like this. I mean, a year and a half might not seem that short, but yeah, I've, I've worked on a webcomic for about four years and produced about the same amount of pages over four years as I did in this year and a half. So there were just some times where, you know, I'm sitting at my desk with my head down and it's like, oh man, is this going to end? Am I ever going to get to page 188? I'm only on page 12 right now. <laughs> um, and so having friends uh, and family that would kind of pull me out and, And uh, go do stuff with me or hang out with me and do stuff that wasn't just sitting at my desk and drawing really was helpful and meant a lot. Yeah, and they were really encouraging too. There were a few people who kind of got to see my work as it progressed and having people kind of in on it who knew me uh, was really important to me. Now, How about
0: you, Matt? What was the hardest part about writing the script for this book?
1: Probably because of the way that the story evolved, I think that the hardest part was sort of letting go of different things that had been in the initial story that didn't end up being a part of the first book. So, you know, we had like characters and plot lines and stuff that had kind of gone out in different directions and everything, and it really dropped some of those to the side. And so I kind of just letting go of that stuff and at the same time making sure I was telling the story that I wanted to tell, um, even though that stuff was kind of dropping off, was probably the toughest part, especially since it was my first big project. I didn't have a ton of confidence a few times uh, that I was still sort of, you know, staying the course. But, you know, with Dave's help and uh, Aaron Walker was another one of our editors and Rachel Roberts, talking through everything with Cassie, like that definitely helped me get through those times.
0: You also mentioned uh, Mike Russell's wisdom
1: helped you. So what sage advice did he bestow upon you that was so helpful? At the beginning, I was, I knew that I could hire an artist, but I wasn't sure, you know, like what would make somebody kind of want to work on some random guy's project. Um, (laughs) And so Mike's most sage advice was pay someone. Um, (laughs) And I think. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, and so that was one of the big pieces in terms of just having like finding someone that was professional and then also on the other side, just respecting that person's time and not expecting them to do Uh, a bunch of stuff for nothing and coming from like a freelancer contractor background myself like that was already something I was thinking I would do and that sort of cemented that and then I went back and forth with Mike and with Merrick Monroe who also works at Bridge City Comics and is the co-curator of the sequential art gallery here in Portland and just like kind of it's been like we said it's been a while but like I just wanted to I wanted to not sound like a newbie when I went and approached an artist, and they really helped me get over that hurdle and feel like I could talk to somebody and actually get something rolling. My daughter, she's, well, she's older now. She's 23, and she listens to the show.
0: So, yes, dear, I calculated your age before I said what it was, because I always mess it up. (laughs) 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 And uh, how did the two of you each draw from the children that you interact with? To bring magic and emotional depth to the relationship between Cleo and Alex.
1: Yeah, for me. So, when we started, my daughter was about, well, let's see, by six or seven, I guess, when I started. So, I was projecting forward a little bit, but she was already very independent minded and pretty funny and witty, not above or not beyond or past, uh, you know, cutting me down if the situation was appropriate. Um, (laughs) And so, so I tried to work that in and that definitely manifests itself, I think a lot in the book. Um, and then just, I would say like the biggest thing is watching both my daughters and like the way that kids can just move through uh, a wide range of emotions in a very short amount of time. Um, yes. <laughs> it, it made me realize that like, even within what feels to me sometimes, and Cassie can attest to this, like I tend to <laughs> overwrite, like I could write like 300 pages, right, and think we were in good shape. But I realized with how fast, you know, they move through stuff and process stuff and are constantly reprocessing stuff that we could tell a really wide ranging emotional story because of that thing that I saw so much in them. So I would say that's probably the, the biggest, uh, the biggest thing. How about you, Cassie?
2: Maybe the biggest thing that I took from uh, my little cousins, they're um, eight and 10. Maybe some like style pieces because a lot of the personality came from Matt's kids. But there's some opportunities for some fun style of of, like Cleo and uh, kids in the background and stuff kind of hanging out with Henry and Lola. Uh, You stole some of pieces that they have and pieces their friends have. Uh, Cleo starts out wearing some shoes that look kind of like cats. And one of Lola's friends has shoes like that. Like Perfect. I'm going to steal those. Having real people around you to draw from visually kind of helps you build a more realistic character. I mean, visually and in personality. Using visuals was the big thing for me.
0: Now, when you began with the book, you wanted to promote it. And a few months ago, you did a little promotional tour, a little mini tour of comic shops, four comic shops, like mid-November. I want to know from you, how was it and who did you meet and what kind of feedback did you get from the public?
2: Uh, it was really good. Um, we yeah, we started in Tacoma, um, and then we went to a place in Seattle, to Bellingham, and then back to Portland again. Yeah, I think both of us, our favorite thing that we did on the tour was actually doing some presentations at a couple of schools in Seattle, and getting to see kids' reactions to hearing about making comics and, and seeing our comic was really cool. Up in Bellingham, too, there was a, this little girl who picked up our book. And she sat down across from us and read the whole thing while we were having the signing. And it was cool getting to watch her read the whole book and kind of seeing her reactions as she was going. And then she stood up and finished. She's like, oh, that was good. Thanks." <laughs> so it was kind of yes. almost like that make make it make it all feel so worth it.
1: That uh, same little girl. She was her dad was there trying to get her attention while she was reading. Um, yes. And she was just completely ignoring him, which is totally my experience. So it was fun. (laughs) It was fun to be sort of like the cause of that, I guess, you know, rather than uh, on the receiving end. So That's the best endorsement you can possibly have. Exactly. Yes.
0: (laughs) Both of you do your writing and drawing early, I believe,
1: early in the day. Matt, you probably get up, what, like pre-dawn or something to get started on your work? I usually get up and try to do, if I'm staying on schedule, which I don't always, but I try to get up about 5.30 and be writing by 6.30 and do a couple hours in the morning and then come back to it at night if it really feels like it's rolling. And Cassie, same for you. You do a lot of your art earlier in the day?
2: I'm not as ambitious as Matt. I am probably, I'm like, (laughs) feeling pretty good if I'm sitting at my desk by nine, um, especially on these like later winter days where it's so dark in the morning, like, oh, do I have to get out of bed? Yeah, I do need to get out of bed. <laughs> but there's something about the morning time that makes me feel a lot more productive, helps me get stepped in.
0: Yeah, I like getting ahead of uh, everyone being awake in the house and getting started on things. Oh, yeah. Uh, were yes. you, now, were you always morning people or like me, did you become a morning person just because you like the peace and solitude and ability to concentrate when it's quiet?
1: <laughs> I was not always a morning person and my wife used to teach. And so at some point I just started getting up with her and I've stuck to it more than she has. Um, (laughs) So uh, it's, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's like more focused somehow. And, you know, there's not a million emails coming in and uh, or work requests or something. And yeah, it just feels sort of a little more solitary, a little more focused.
2: I think I've always been a morning person. Yeah, you can ask my roommates in college get up pretty <laughs> early and get stuff done.
0: <laughs> well, let's talk about some of your other work, and it's not necessarily comic-related. We'll get back to that, of course. Now, Matt, you studied journalism, layout design, myron and fine arts, and that gave you a good foundation to help you as a writer. But you also work on B2B website design and as a developer of apps as well?
1: Yeah, that's sort of my... That's the my day job at this point. My primary focus is on sort of like what we call user experience design, which is just uh, sort of the slightly newer term than user interface design. But we do a lot of uh, people have an idea for an application; they're not quite sure how they want it to work, so my favorite part of the job is to like, sit down with people in a room with a bunch of whiteboards and a bunch of coffee and just kind of like throw ideas out and start whiteboarding stuff. And really what the most fun, most meaty part of the job is, Sort of, you know, figuring out what this application is going to do and how it's going to work and what the personality of it's going to be and how users are going to, you know, accomplish tasks with it. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, when you get to do that chunk, um, little parts along the way that aren't quite as fun, but that part's great. And it's not that different from sitting down to brainstorm a story or something. It's, It's really storytelling is sort of involved. You're just telling a story to a user and letting them, you know, do stuff along the way. In
0: your professional opinion, as far as web design, B two B work on the websites, when do you think someone should go out and seek a professional for advice before it's too late? You know, and and their their site's all messed up. Like when should they? What should be the signs that should say, "Hmm, maybe I should talk to someone who knows a little more about this than I do."
1: If you're looking at doing something where you've got more than a couple pages of website, and if you, or if you want users to be Accomplishing a specific task on your website, it's probably good to get somebody's opinion. That said, like I think it depends too on how much time you spend online and what you think your grasp of things is. You know, I for example, I I did a Squarespace site for LifeFormed, and it's cool that you can go do this and it looks fantastic now, unlike the old days, like when you used to do some of this. WYSIWYG website development stuff. It was it was very uh, very clunky and not didn't even look very good. But now at least like there's sites that help you put together something that looks really nice. But once you start adding to it and going beyond what those templates allow for, I think definitely finding someone to give you a hand is is a good idea.
0: And someone to help you plan, someone to help you yes. think about well, what are you trying to accomplish here? What's your long term objective? Because if you don't have a good plan and know where you're going then it becomes kind of a patchwork of fixes and patches and you know, it gets to be really messy and clunky.
1: Yes, completely. And uh, my, yeah, my business partner, actually, his focus is on sort of helping people get over their clunky websites and uh, help them kind of s- streamline stuff. So it's definitely still needed, even though you've got you know, so many do-it-yourself tools these days.
0: Now, Cassie, for you, Besides being a freelance artist and a nanny on the side, along your tours, you were visiting schools and talking about making comics, but you've also visited middle schools, high schools to talk about comics. Why? What is your mission?
2: It's really cool um, getting kids inspired about art and about reading. I mean, I love comics just as its own rather I mean... Creating them is awesome, too. But there are so many different ways to tell a story with a comic. And my little cousin is dyslexic. And there's something about graphic novels that really helps him read in a way that normal books he has a much harder time with. So I think it's so cool how much more inclusive graphic novels can be. And the the kind of stories they can tell in a way that other books can't. So I love getting to kind of share that with kids and show them that, hey, look, you can do this too. Um, and, And getting to see them create and seeing kind of some things they're working on is really cool. Because I was there one at one point in my life. I, I <laughs> right. was drawing stuff. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Uh, this is fun, but what do I do with this? And getting to share that is really cool.
0: How do your presentations differ for an audience that's middle school versus high school? Or does it differ? Is it the same?
2: I think the the biggest difference is more on their end, like the kinds of questions that they ask us. The kids at the high school came up with... A lot more in-depth questions. They were, wow, this is these are some tough questions. Um, the, the middle school was not not quite as tough questions to answer. I think.
0: <laughs> Do you use Wally Wood as an example? His art in your teaching.
2: Yeah. Now, what do you use? I don't know if you've seen his 22 panels that always work, but he's got a collection of 22 different types of panels that um, always are visually successful. He's got, you know, like two heads talking to each other, like one from behind, one from the front, uh, an object in the foreground or dark in the foreground, light in the background, all these different kinds of thumbnails and types of panels that have helped me in creating life-formed. I mean there are so many, like hundreds and hundreds of panels. So after a while, you feel like you're just doing the same thing over and over again. And getting to use an expert like Wally Wood's awesome resource has really helped me to make it more uh, diverse and interesting to look at, hopefully.
0: (laughs) So that gave you a solid foundation. How how else did you hone and develop your own art style? And how did you teach? I mean, yourself, or how are you taught?
2: I've been drawing my entire life. And a lot of that, I think my, my sister and I both draw and we've drawn side by side growing up. So I think we kind of both have challenged one another as we have gotten older. And having her uh, kind of push me and challenge me has helped a lot. Uh, and I've also just had some really great art teachers along the way that pointed me in directions that I should go and pointed out things that I didn't see in my own art. I mean, it's hard looking at your own art and picking it apart and seeing what's faulty in it. There, there are seasons that I can see that. I'm like, oh man, my proportions on my arms are really weird or something. But having somebody pointed out to you is really helpful. Yeah. And then I uh, was really fortunate and got to go to Savannah College of Art and Design so uh, I studied sequential art there, and the teachers there really helped me to to develop my storytelling and my art and just style in general. And it's every day I'm learning, so uh, every day looking at new comics and uh, other artists and trying to create something every day.
0: Both of you, as part of your book tour, have been to Barnes & Noble for book signings, and I would think that that is one thing that would really help brick-and-mortar stores like Barnes & Noble to survive in today's market, the ability to meet and greet and ask questions of authors. How was that experience going to a bookstore? I still go to them because I like being surrounded by the books, just a certain feel and vibe to see them all there. How was it, and what did you really enjoy about that experience?
1: I think mostly it's just fun, and we felt this way generally on the tour and at Rose City and Uh, comic-con when we launched the book but it's fun just to see people's reactions in person and so as far as sharing the book at any location like barnes and noble included it's it's just really great to get that personal reaction and then at barnes and noble also we did our we did sort of a short version of our presentation and you know there's always like at least one person in the audience that is a Uh, young kid that's looking to create stuff and Mm -hmm. we get to interact with them and like uh, it actually ended up being kind of cool because they didn't have a projector so we did a bunch of printouts or Cassie did a bunch of printouts (laughs) and we got to pass those around and like so people could actually sort of hold the binder that had the Cassie's annotated version of the script in it, look through pencil pages and ink pages and full color pages and character sketches and designs and stuff. I feel like anytime we get a chance to do that, we should pretty much take it. And uh, so I think that that works out really well in a place like Barnes & Noble. You never know who's going to just sort of stumble into the corner where you're presenting and sit down and pick up a book. I thought that was great. I love being around the books too. Like I hadn't been in a Barnes and Noble in a while. And, you know, I wanted to like pick up the Blade Runner 2049 art book and just sit down and do that. <laughs> Take a look <laughs> at that. There's just so much great stuff out there. And yes, yeah, so it's just fun to be a part of it. And how about you, Cassie? What about your observations?
2: Nothing really beats getting to see um, somebody's reaction to your book after, especially after working on it for so long, and then finally getting to see somebody peel back the cover and be like, oh, all right, this looks pretty cool. <laughs> it's really exciting. Yeah, I love being in bookstores and comic stores. It is very distracting, though, because I'll be talking to somebody, and I'll be like, oh, what's that that cool book behind them? Oh, that looks neat. I should read that. (laughs) It's been really cool to get to do that and to spend some more time in comic book stores and bookstores.
0: Why do you think that bookstores and libraries are so vitally important for our communities, especially our youth, who are growing up in this age of e-commerce and social media? Why are they so vital? Cassie, let's start with you.
2: I use library all the time. Like I love getting to check out as many books as I want and um, read as much as I want to. And uh, I think that there's something so important about, I don't know, holding a book in your hand and getting to flip through the pages and uh, see the progress you've made, like with your bookmark. I think it's really important, especially as a kid, to go into a bookstore or into a library and be able to browse the shelves and pick out titles that maybe you wouldn't have picked out otherwise, or find out about new books that you hadn't heard about or that your friends haven't read yet, and then be able to pass that on and kind of start a new, I don't know, a new new wave of something. Like, who's the next Harry Potter? I don't know. Maybe you could figure it out at your library, your <laughs> bookstore. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Something about physical books is so important. I hope we don't ever lose that.
1: How about you, Matt? My daughters and I go to the library all the time here, and I think it's super important as they get older, they want to, they just want to spend more time with screens because it's what everyone's doing, but they love to go to the library with me and get like a giant stack of books and graphic novels and uh, stuff and bring them home. And it's been a great place for us to try out, I could easily go to my LCS all the time and come home with like five, (laughs) five books every week and be completely broke. <laughs> but it's great to be able to, you know, give a trial run to some books. And then when I see that they're sitting down with something like three or four times, then I'll just go grab a copy next time I'm at the store. Mm-hmm. So I feel like as a, you know, trying stuff out, it's great. And then for the community at large, like Cassie was saying, there's so many different types of readers. And both my daughters started, I was putting comics in front of them when they were, you know, two and three, and they by four, they were reading. So I think it has a big impact and it can help people. That aren't natural readers. I was not a natural reader. I didn't start reading novels really until I was in like a senior in high school, but I was reading comics all the time. And to me, it just, it doesn't really matter if you're reading. That's great and especially yeah. you know uh, if it's a graphic novel we're just talking to one of the women at barnes and noble she was saying that she has to get parents over a hurdle yeah. to get them into getting their kids graphic novels and she just tells them like they're reading and not holding a screen you should mm-hmm. <laughs> you should embrace this and i think that's uh yeah definitely the case and it's i don't know it helped i feel like it helps everything from art appreciation to just general reading so any place you can go browse a bunch of stuff i think uh, it serves the community i've told the story before in the show uh, and i'll, I'll mention since you
0: brought it up that just to get them reading you know graphic novels and when my daughter was little i would get her copies of spider girl tom DeFalco penned one and uh, i just would buy a copy every month and she'd read them and then eventually she'd read other books as well like novels uh, young adult novels i think that's how she got started reading getting interested in yeah.
1: reading you know something that she wanted to read yeah totally that's awesome yeah. Yeah, my daughters were huge into uh art and Franco's Tiny Titans. Mm-hmm. Um and but then at this they were reading that, but at the same time I had found, you know, old Kirby Lee Fantastic Four and some Legion of Superheroes stuff, and they just would flip through that stuff for hours. It worked out well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, my older son, who's six, I've been reading to him a lot of Kirby stuff, that I had not read much of his DC work. Yeah. I was I said, Do you want to read some books tonight? He goes, sure, and I, I pulled out some books and I read them and they weren't Kirby. And he says, uh, where's the dinosaur one? Do you have any more of the dinosaur one? <laughs> Devil dinosaur. And I was like,
1: yeah.
0: And of all the Kirby books I have, those are the ones I, for some reason, didn't keep. I'm like, ah. Oh. So they're on their way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm good. replacing them because he wants to read them. <laughs> and it's just something about if the story's simple. And it's at, I mean, he doesn't need anything too, too heavy right now you know at his age eventually he will but that's the perfect kind of story for him right now to get him interested and he asks questions which is the fun thing too is that he raises his hand
1: (laughs) question question
0: like yes (laughs) what's your question that's good
1: yeah, I feel like that Silver Age stuff is really good. It's got a depth to it that it feels like sometimes stuff is lacking uh, in the modern era, and it's, but it's still got a weirdness to it that's just interesting <laughs> as a kid. I feel like it's compelling to, like as a kid, look at stuff that you don't quite understand and try to sort it out, and I feel like those books are great for that.
0: I just have some fun questions. Before I get to my usual fun questions, I wanted to talk to you each about your favorite comics, movies, and music like your top three in each category. Matt, I'll start with you, and let's focus on the 80s, because right now that seems to be all the rage again is the 80s. I mean, Stranger yes. Things, the TV show, Marvelous, Wonderfully Done, the setting was right, the clothes were right, the language was right, the act, everything was right about the 80s. Right. I was there, <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So let's pick three, your top three, and why. Let's start
1: with comics from the 80s. Okay, so this is hard because I could probably do a whole podcast about these three things in the 80s, especially. But I think, let's see, can I put a disclaimer first or a caveat first? <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. Okay, so, like, you know, obviously Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns and X Men from the 80s uh, completely apply. But I try, I was thinking about stuff that is you know, a little less well-known. And one book that totally blew my mind was actually a Dark Horse book called The American by Mark Verheiden that um, went on to write for Battlestar Galactica, and he's done tons of stuff. He did the alien comics for Dark Horse back in the day. And The American is sort of a Captain America story, but uh, with a dark twist. So that was really uh, something that was important to me. Denny O'Neill and Dennis Cowan's question run um for dc before there was a vertigo taking uh Ditko's question character and this was after Watchmen, after he'd been uh, rorschach and watchman as well was uh really phenomenal and pretty super dark and weird but um really great and then probably craven's last hunt mike zek art especially um, but the story was amazing too those are probably my top three uh, 80s comics, I think.
0: Oh, excellent choices. Yeah. I mean, I have read Craven's Last Hunt. That's interesting. How about three movies from the 80s that should be on my must see list?
1: Ooh, okay. Um, so Lifeform has a lot of, to me at least, 80s in it. And there's a few movies that I kind of like really had in mind, just as inspiration points. Uh, the first was The Hidden, which is a movie with Kyle McLaughlin, Free Twin Peaks. It's about alien parasites that come into to Earth and start inhabiting people. So sort of right up my alley. Night of the Comet, if you se- haven't seen that, is sort of a uh, post-apocalyptic, most of Earth gets wiped out and a girl uh, is, out in the wastelands of L.A. that are now, uh, you know, L.A. freeways that are completely bare and everything and fighting against, you know, it's sort of Omega Man-ish, if you are familiar with that. Absolutely. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Um, And then uh, I feel like I can't, like Terminator is sort of my grail. Everybody's probably seen that. I feel like it's always worth rewatching. It's so like... Uh, it's so efficient in the story that it tells, I feel like is also prototypical 80s type of thing. So if you have seen that, I would say, and you liked it, uh, you should definitely check out uh, the Sarah Connor Chronicles TV show that they did a while ago as a follow up to that, because it was really excellent and probably not seen by very many people. And how about music? I love Wire, which was a punk band that turned into a new wave slash post-punk band in the 80s. Echo and the Bunnymen and probably the Wipers, which are a Portland band that Kurt Cobain used to talk about them a lot. But other than that, I don't think they've gotten their due. And it's great uh, sort of melodic punk stuff that sounds kind of like being in Portland.
0: Okay, well, you gave me something to check out because I didn't know two of those. Now, Echo and the Bunnymen, I do remember seeing them on MTV.
1: Yeah. They used to run their videos a lot. Yes, yeah. They, would, they were the popular of of those three bands, they were the one that you would have heard of. Wire's great. They've got a really deep, really varied discography. They start off punk and end up kind of industrial but in ways that you wouldn't expect. And they're like, you know, in their 60s now and still touring and making new stuff, so. Great. Yeah. yes, awesome. it's, it's inspiring. Yeah. yeah, good for them. For us older folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, Cassie, how about you? We'll start with comics. And I said the 80s but I won't limit you if you have another era that you prefer.
2: Oh, thank you. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> I wasn't alive yet. Uh- <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, please don't pick any area you want. Then. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's
2: see, comics. Man, I really love Lucy Knisley's work. Um, so any of her comics are really high on the list for me. Um, she does autobiographical uh, memoirs, like. Um, She did one about food. She's done one about her wedding. She's working on one right now about uh, her baby. It's just her storytelling style is really interesting to me. And then I love Anya's Ghost by Vera Brosgal. It's a story about this girl, and she's kind of having a hard time at school, and she meets a ghost, and the ghost starts following her around. Um, Yeah, also really great, kind of a uh, young adult graphic novel. And then Delilah Dirk by Tony Cliff. Those are really great. His man, everything he does is super great. Uh, He does awesome faces and motions, characters, costumes. His backgrounds are just like stunning. I love his stuff.
0: And how about movies?
2: I I love that movie. The new version of I haven't seen the old one, but Secret Life of Walter Mitty. There's something about that movie that just like really inspires something in me. I'm like, man, I gotta go places. I gotta do things i don't want to just sit here and waste my life yeah it's i love that movie that and dan in real life with dave carell it's also really good just like heartwarming movie about family and relationships hmm, and third movie i feel like i haven't seen very many movies lately but i do i do really enjoy wonder woman that was a good movie yes um, excellent <laughs> i don't know if it's like my top top movies but one of the more recent ones i've seen that i really liked
0: and how about music
2: there's a band that got started um, here in oregon called joseph Um, it's three three women and they write and do their own music it's really beautiful their words are incredible um, and their melodies are awesome they've gotten really big in the last few years i think too i love them love the head and the heart which is a band that actually started in seattle which is where i'm from which is really cool kind of folksy sounds and then I really like glass animals which is totally different sound it's very alternative rock maybe but kind of electric I don't know it's strange but it's good <laughs> good
0: some things for me to check out because I have guests that throw things out there and I'll check it out and I'm like where has this been all my life you know so it's
2: <laughs> it's good
0: to hear something I have I've never heard of before I always yeah. look forward to checking out new things like that
2: oh, good. I hope you enjoy them
0: and now for my standard fun questions Rest and relaxation. Matt, what do you do to rest and
1: relax? I like to run. Um, Wait, you like sort of, to? Yeah, <laughs> I, <Okay>. do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> um, I do. It took a few years. Yeah, that's sort of my happy place is running. I'm out by like a place called Forest Park. Cassie actually knows it better yeah. than I do, but it's about 40 miles-ish of trails that... Uh, And where I'm at, it kind of butts up against like this weird industrial area and a river. And so that's sort of my main uh, route is to kind of go run through that weirdness um, or that weird mixing of things. And (laughs) it just clears my head. And I work from home, so it's um, a lot of time in front of the computer. And that's sort of, I feel set free, I guess, when I'm out there. (laughs) Yeah. And Cassie, um, is that what you like to do as well for
0: rest and relaxation is to run and hike?
2: Yes, I love just being outside. Running is awesome, and I love hiking, like being in the mountains and the forest. And yeah, we're so lucky to have Forest Park here, which is this um, like huge stretch of forest and trails, like right by the city. Like it's downtown, kind of. It's awesome. Yeah, I also really like to bake. Baking really like relaxes me, which is convenient since uh, I like to run too. So,
0: <laughs> and baking makes the running necessary. Yes. Yes. <laughs> It just fuels me. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> now, for both of you, if you were each stuck on a deserted island, what would be the one island book for you, Matt?
1: So I knew this question was coming, and I actually asked my (laughs) wife, who gave me such a good answer that I I feel like I have to use it. No, we talked about it, and uh, so if it was me and you would have asked me cold, I would have maybe said The Long Goodbye by Raymond Chandler. It's a Philip Marlowe book, which is sort of, when I was reading novels as a kid, that was one of the first things I read, and... That book I always kind of wanted to go back to because it felt like it was grown up in a way that I didn't quite understand yet. But her answer was Shakespeare, so that you could actually like study it, you know like a complete works and study it. So we talked about that, and I was thinking it'd be great to just walk around the island performing Shakespeare if no one else was there. So yeah. it, <laughs> it felt it felt like it would give you a lot to do. So uh, I think, yeah, I'd I might I'd probably go with that. How about you, Cassie?
2: I, yeah, I don't reread books very often, but one book that I read this last year that I feel like I could read multiple times was um, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close by Jonathan Safran Foer, I think you say his name. But yeah, it was so such a well-written book, and I feel like I could go back and reread it multiple times and get something new from it each time I read it. Really interesting.
0: Now, for each of you, your beverage of choice when resting and relaxing. Cassie.
2: I like kombucha. I guess I'm, I'm pretty Portland, but <laughs> what about that like bubbly, fruity juice stuff? I don't know. It's pretty good.
1: <laughs> Matt? I will take like a Mexican Coke, which we can get here in Portland in like glass bottles. That's sort of my favorite. Yeah. Or a Manhattan. A Mexican Coke. Now, how is that different? It is different. Uh, because it uses real sugar. Ah, I've seen these. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the. I think that's the primary difference. So yeah. you need like one twelve ounce bottle of Mexican Coke is the equivalent goodness, you know, of like forty four ounces of, <laughs> you yeah, uh, know, yeah, like American Coke. So um, yes, I was uh, very happy to discover that. <laughs> you can really taste the difference. Oh, yeah, for sure. For okay. sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Now, if
0: each of you were to become an action figure they were going to produce an action figure of you what would be your accessory Matt
1: probably like my laptop bag that i that has like a seat belt style seat or buckle that goes across the front and i carry my laptop with it everywhere i go in it that would probably probably have okay. to be it okay yeah yeah <laughs> <Cassie>. <laughs> yes
2: how about you Cassie yeah, mine might be my backpack, too. It's pretty colorful. It's like a bright blue color, which is my friends have nicknamed Cassie Blue, since I own so many things in that color, with some purple and, like, orange on it. But that might be my accessory.
0: <laughs> now, is there anything else you want to share with me and the audience about what you're working on? Now, now, Cassie, I believe you just wrapped up your webcomic Ordinary Princess?
2: Yeah, I wrapped it up almost the same time I finished up Life Formed, actually... Uh, So I've kind of been working on deciding if I want to get it published traditionally or if I want to self-publish and run a Kickstarter. Yeah, kind of working out those details.
0: And you also have a Patreon? Yes, I do. And there are no fees being passed along now. The Patreon went back and changed, at least as far as we know. (laughs) That news, uh, (laughs)
1: this (laughs) might be be
0: old news by the time this comes out, but, you know, there was a change to it. But it's the way it was before. Nothing's changed. And uh, what can people see and get through your Patreon?
2: Yeah, I do um, some blog posts about process or kind of stuff I'm thinking about or working on. Um, I'll post a couple sketches and stuff that I won't post on social media on my Patreon. Um, And I also do a collection of my whole sketchbook each month. So basically everything I've drawn all month, my patrons get to see.
0: And you have a Tumblr as well.
2: Yeah, and, and an Instagram.
0: Which I thought was really cool because I'm just kind of reading the description like, you know, this happened today. But then when I looked at it, you actually have like a cartoon of what happened that day. Yes. (laughs)
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah, so those are some of my favorite things to do. Yeah, it's cool. Journal comics. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Matt, how about you? I think that I'm good. Yeah, mostly just, um, I guess if like if I had my uh, soapbox, I would say be sure to go check out Mister Miracle by Tom <laughs> King from DC Comics, which yeah, Cassie has heard me not shut up about for, <laughs> uh, for a couple months now. Um, Yeah, I just, you know, there's so many great comics out there just uh, to give a shot to and see what you think. And that one is uh, consistently amazing and has been that way from the start. Looks like it's going to be an amazing 12-issue series.
0: It's been on my list. I mean, I get it every time it comes out. Well, I really appreciate you both being on the show and spending some time and uh, urge people to check out the graphic novel, Life Formed. Matt and Casey, thanks so much for being on the show.
2: Yeah, thank you so much much for having having us. us.
0: Thank you for joining me for Creator Talks this week. The show is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and also on Amazon Echo and Dot devices. Just say, Alexa, play podcast Creator Talks to hear the latest episode. In addition, you can listen to the show and follow it through Podbean, Your feedback is greatly appreciated, so please rate and review on iTunes if you like the show or an episode that you heard. Your ratings and reviews go a long way to helping the show, and I can't thank you enough for taking a bit of time to do that. For your convenience, in the show notes of each podcast, I have a link to my iTunes page where you can rate and review the show and see the entire list of shows available. If you haven't heard them all, take a look through. There are living legends and -and up-and-coming comic creators. Tell family and friends who like comics and comic book creators about the show. And to subscribe. The content is free. Just as valued are your comments and feedback. You can reach me through Facebook and Twitter at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod. You can also reach out to me by email. You can find that at my website, creatortalks.com. At the website, you will also find blog posts, reviews of books that I have read that you might want to read too, my catalog of podcasts and videos and other written articles on the website creatortalks.com. A hearty thank you to all my guests. It is an honor and a privilege for you to make time to be on the show and talk to me about your work. It is your knowledge and insight into the creative process that makes the show so unique. My thanks also goes out to my family who makes this show possible, especially my executive co-producer, Mrs. Calloway. I'll be back each and every Thursday with a new interview. For Creator Talks, I'm your host Christopher Calloway. Until next time.